You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Genesis 37 is a story of Joseph. Everybody say Joseph. Joseph. That's my name, by the way. People call me Joe. My real name's Joseph. Um, and uh, let's, let's read this story real quick. I'm going to read up into verse 11. This is, how many of you know the story of Joseph? Quite a few of you, I imagine, because you're all nerds. This is Sunday school. There's a lot of nerds in here if you haven't seen that yet. But this chapter, uh, Genesis 37, it says this. Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. And then it says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Everybody say tattletale. That's, that's what he was doing. Now Israel, Israel is Jacob. Don't get confused. Same dude, uh, a.k.a. Israel, a.k.a. Uh, Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born in his old, in his old age. And he had made a richly ornament, ornamented, ornamented robe for him. Coat of many colors. There's other translations that say coat of many colors. Uh, richly ornamented. Uh, when his brothers saw that their father had loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. The brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had a dream and he told his brothers again, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars, that's how many uh, uh, brothers he has, were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? The brothers were jealous of him, but the father kept, in, kept this in mind. I've asked Betsy to come and uh, pray for us this morning as we start our time. We're looking at the Old Testament today. All right. Hi, friends. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come to Sunday school and learn about your word and learn about you and um, about ourselves through the stories of your word. And Father, we just ask that you would give Joe the words to speak and um, that our hearts would be opened and our minds would be open to what you want to teach us today. And we ask that you bless this day before us. Go Patriots. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) You can't do that. Uh, are you excited about the Super Bowl? How many of you are just watch it for the commercials? Yeah, that's probably me too. You know, it's all about like the party you go to and the people you watch it with. My best Super Bowl memory is me and my dad watching it. I was a Cub Scout. Anybody other boys, little Cub Scouts when they were little? It's like the thing right before Boy Scouts. And literally one of the requirements to get your next rank in Cub Scouts was to spend quality time with your dad, or if you didn't have a dad, uh, an adult male guardian. And, and so we accomplished the assignment by watching the Super Bowl together when I was a little kid. And my dad taught me about football, and we drank sodas till we were sick. And uh, my mom and little brother weren't allowed in because it was just me and my dad time. It was pretty cool. It was the best Super Bowl memory I have. And uh, so this morning we're going to talk a little bit about family uh, in the context of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. But I thought I want to welcome you if you're, if you're newish 
around here to either the mill, which we meet on Friday nights. I'm sure all of you know that. If you don't know that, then you're really new. Um, and this is the mill Sunday school. And if you're newish, that we have at the front little table there, we have a first-timer card. If you fill that out, we will give you in exchange a sweet CD with some of New Life Worship songs on it and a sermon and just a way of saying thank you for coming by and having biscuits and gravy with us. <laughs> um, also, not next week. Everybody say, not next week. We will cancel Sunday school. So not next week we'll be in here talking about Joseph once again. The week after that, Sunday the 17th, no Sunday school. I explained last time that we're, there's a mill leadership retreat, and we want to give our leaders a break that weekend. They're the people that we're greeting at the door, that made the biscuits and gravy, that are sitting in the tech booth, that are welcoming and greeting and doing the food, and they work really hard. Some of them were here like 730 this morning. That's early, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to get we're going to go at a mill leadership retreat. And and that's the reason why Sunday school will be canceled to give them a Sabbath, a rest, a break of one weekend. And so if you're like, well, how do you get on mill leadership? Why are those people so cool? Um, those people are really cool. It's really easy. Uh, just ask me or at the front table, we'll have some leadership applications. You could apply to be a leader. There'll be a little interview thing that happens. And we'll, we want you to serve. We want you not to just come to the mill Sunday school or to the mill, but we want you to serve. So that's your announcements. Sweet. Those are good ones, huh? Well, uh, the family is really important. The Old Testament has, you know, if someone says, I have a biblical family, that might not necessarily be a really good thing. (laughs) Because the family that we're going to look at today is, I think the word dysfunctional obviously comes to mind. And, uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about family. We're, we're looking at the Old Testament this, all this month, by the way. This is officially Old Testament-2 is the, is the topic. We did Old Testament-1 like four months ago, and we talked about the beginnings of Genesis. Um, Abraham we talked about. We talked about creation, Adam and Eve, all that fun stuff. Now we're in Old Testament 2, as if this was like 102, like a college course or something. And so we'll spend this whole month talking about the end of the book of Genesis, which is mainly the story of Joseph and his family. And Joseph had a very dysfunctional family. I remember uh, my family comes from, I I come from a very good family, a very non-dysfunctional family. Um, But I remember having, uh, New Life Church does something cool. They have a pastor on call pager. And so if you call New Life Church after hours or even during the day and really have a a somewhat of an emergency, you really want to talk to a pastor about whatever it is, there's a pastor on call pager. And so me and Evan and Aaron and all the rest of the, the pastors on staff at New Life Church get to switch this thing around, pass it around on a weekly basis. And uh, I remember the first time I had it, which was a couple years ago, and I was brand new to being a pastor and uh, just very nervous about, like, what, what is somebody going to call? They're going to page me. I'm going to get this number, and then I'm going to have to call them and just like, okay, how, do you want me to pray for you? Uh, is somebody died? What happened? <laughs> I mean, I was legitimate. I was legitimately very nervous about, you know, I got a page, and so I called the number. Before I called the number, I actually prayed, said, "God, would you use me?" And in this in this moment, someone's calling this pager, obviously because it's an emergency. And it was actually one of the secretaries at the World Prayer Center. They said, "Hey, Joe, uh, this is so and so. We got we have a guy here that just wants prayer. He's in the World Prayer Center. He wants prayer." And so I came in, I met with the guy, and he was there. And I said, "Well, how can I begin to pray for you?" And he said, "Well, it's my family." He said, me and my wife are going through a hard time right now. She, we're, we're considering divorce. And I, he said, I really don't want that. And he, he talked about there wasn't any, like, abuse or violence. There wasn't any affairs. It was just things weren't working out. 
And so I prayed with him. He, he took the whole day off of his work just to come to the World Prayer Center and pray for his family and his marriage and his kids. And so I joined in and, and prayed with him, and I, I prayed for him, his wife, their marriage, that, that God would use that marriage and, and God would strengthen it and bring it together. And I said, you know, there's lots of counseling opportunities here around new life and so on and so forth. And prayed with him for probably an hour, gave him a Bible, gave him, I said, Psalm 121 is one of my favorite psalms. If you want to read it um, today, you can. It's, it's a really good psalm about, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from God. And so I gave him that, and he read that. And, and then I said, if, if, if I, I kind of want to stay in the loop with you and know how your, your family turns out and, and how our prayers have turned out today. And I gave him my card with my number on it. And usually uh, people don't call back. So I pray for a lot of people, and I usually give them my card and say, you know, if you want to talk some more, let me hear about what happened after we prayed. Um, most people will take my number, but I don't know if they just, maybe it seems awkward for them to call. I don't know. But this guy called me back like a month later and said, my family's doing great. We're, we're together. We've decided not to divorce. We've decided to stay together and do marriage counseling and family counseling. And what I remember, and I was just, I was just so overjoyed about that, but I remember that day praying for him just over here in the World Prayer Center in the, in the big room and just thinking how distraught he was. His, he was tearing up and, and how emotionally just broken this man was because of his family. I thought how important the family is, how the family makes us who we are, whether it's you know, your immediate family or whether it's our church family and the relationships that we have here. That's really, I mean, besides God, it's the most important thing to us. And the Old Testament has a lot to say about family. And so I want to look specifically let's look at let's take a step back before we get into the family deal and and talk about genesis just really quick if you've been coming to sunday school for a while you know that we can't just jump into a passage we have to learn the background and the hermeneutics and the exegesis of this passage right everybody say right that's what we're about here in here in the mill sunday school we're about getting a little deeper into the into the word and the background of things who wrote genesis exodus leviticus number deuteronomy yeah, we think that Moses, uh, maybe, maybe author isn't the best term. Maybe a term like editor would be a better term. And uh, that he put, the, put together the stories that he put together. I mean, he obviously wasn't there in the creation of the world. He obviously wasn't there in the fall of Adam and Eve because it was just little, literally Adam and Eve. Moses wasn't hanging out in the background. Um, at least I don't think. I don't know. <laughs> um, and so he, was, he compiled some of these stories. Do we have the picture of Moses up? Let's put that up. There's a, there's a sculpture by Michelangelo of Moses. He looks like a pretty strong dude. He looks pretty cool. And so uh, that's, that's Moses. He wrote, or I guess edited the first, or put together the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. Yes, very good. But at the very end of the Pentateuch, in Deuteronomy, what is weird? If you think, yeah, Moses' death is written about. And so scholars think, well, maybe Joshua wrote that last part and then just continued right on with the book of Joshua, which is the next book, and it's all supposed to kind of be one big humongous book. That's that's a very good possibility. The book was written somewhere between 1446 B.C. and 1406 B.C. Is that a long time ago? Yeah, archaeologists consider that the Bronze Age. I think we have another picture of some Bronze Age cool stuff. Like, uh, is it up there? like a sword and some jewelry and cool stuff like that. And uh, this is considered by archaeologists to be the Bronze Age. There's the Stone Age, Bronze Age, and then Iron Age is usually what they, they, what they kind of call it. Some archaeologists don't like the term. I like it just because it's cool. 
In fact, the other day I, was, uh, I have a wood-burning stove in my house. Anybody have like a fireplace in their house? They're so cool to play with, aren't they? Just building fires all the time. And uh, I cut some wood down like a couple of weeks ago, uh, like maybe a month ago, and I was burning some wood. And I think what must have happened, because it was up near Rampart uh, Range, is that someone, like some crazy people, just like to sh- go in the woods and shoot stuff. Uh, they shot a tree, and so there was a bullet lodged in the tree. And then when I was burning the wood, the bullet was like clearly, I was like, what the heck is that? And so there was a bullet in there, and I started getting out the fire tools and like playing with it. And like, and it was, it was copper, so it was br- cop- bronze is copper and tin, and which melts pretty easily. And so I was there like doing my bronze work and making some sweet jewelry and stuff like that. <laughs> and I thought, how easy, how primitive of a culture. The culture of the Bronze Age is a very primitive culture. It's not like today when there's, when there's uh, I, mean, I mean, everything was different back then. I think there's another picture of um, a house in there. Uh, I think this is a house, um, I believe, in Pakistan. Uh, yeah, it is. I'm not believing it is. It is because I took this picture. I went to Pakistan. Uh, <laughs> is that the next one? This is the, that's me inside this house. Wait, no, that's just the house. Did you show the, show the next one with me inside the house and some of my buddies? We were on a mission trip to Pakistan, and uh, this is today. This isn't like Bronze Age, but this is a very primitive kind of house where it's literally mud floors, uh, mud and brick uh, walls. The roof is like kind of kind of thatched roof, and this is the kind of houses people had in the Bronze Age. And so, what you would do if you were a son is you'd go out and get a wife, and uh, she'd probably be hot and uh and she'd also probably be a lot younger than you do you want to know a secret do you (laughs) me and my wife are seven years apart she's seven years younger than me she's right there she's like getting red (laughs) and so i always joke around as people's like joe you're robbing the cradle blah 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 because i'm 29 she's 22 uh i usually say it's biblical Uh, that's so fun to do. Uh, but anyways, in the Bronze Age, in this period of Middle Eastern Bronze Age, you would go out, get a wife. She would come and live with you, and you would probably, just to, onto that house, you would add another brick uh, extension onto that house, literally like a room like of 12 by 12, 12 feet by 12 feet, and everything would happen in there. The cooking, the cleaning, the sleeping, the hanging out. Um, the, the bathrooms would probably just be in the field. You know, there's no, like public restrooms or anything it was just down in the field and your house would be that place where you did everything in this 12 by 12 little room and so that's kind of what life was like families were very close together i would say almost too close together i mean literally like all of them everybody in like a 12 by 12 little hut um living sleeping breathing just you name it you know very close together and that's just what it looked like the life expectancy um life is life was obviously a lot harder back then um some of the like you kind of judge how hard life is by a life expectancy. You know what the life expectancy is today in the United States of America? I had to look it up. I hear like 76. What do I have? 77.6 is, is what I found in my research. And that's, that's pretty old. I mean, that's the average age, including everybody that's even like younger, maybe even including babies that die, all the way up to people that are 110 that die. Um, that's the average, 77.6. You know what the average age, average life expectancy of someone in the Bronze Age was? 18 years old. That's the average. And so life was just so much harder back then, so much harder. I, I want to put up the chart of, uh, put up the chart, Patrick, of, um, it's the uh, family tree of Abraham. I have, I have a laser pointer. I'm going to stand right here. 
if the, oh, this laser fight, I just bought this thing. It's so cool. Don't get it in your eyes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can read that. It says Abraham, and then there's Sarah. Do you remember them in the, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis? They have a son. What's his son's name? Isaac. Isaac and Ishmael, but then Isaac carries the promise. So Isaac marries Rebecca. Some of you already know that. Some of you are cheating. That's fine. Um, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau, like, exchanges his birthright for a bowl of soup. Like, Lent, I still don't understand. Like, what, what, what was so dumb? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Uh, so there's Esau. There's Jacob. And then Jacob, a.k.a. Israel. He got his name changed by God uh, when they were wrestling. It was like him and God wrestling. And Jacob kind of loses, so God changes his name to Israel. Uh, and then, then he has how many sons? Twelve sons. And you could go through them. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Asher, uh, wait, Gad, Asher, Dan, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. And Jacob um, actually has four women that, I mean, the, the society that they lived in was polygamous. You know what that means? It means one man, lots of wives. And that, I don't think that is God's plan. I think God's plan was, um, excuse me, Adam and Eve, two people. And clearly in the New Testament, that's the, you know, a, a, a godly man has a man of but one wife. And so I think it was more of a cultural thing than God's directive to have lots of wives because Jacob, uh, he, he, he wants to marry Rachel, but, but Rachel's dad says, no, you need to marry my oldest daughter first. You know her name? Leah. And so he marries Leah, has some sons, uh, and then Rachel is, is also gets married. And then the, the two maidservants, uh, Bill, Ha, and uh, what's the other one's name? Zilpha are the two maidservants. So there's four women whom, who have all these chill, all 12 children of Jacob. And so that's, that's kind of the line of Jacob. All those brothers are the brothers that don't like Joseph. Joseph, Benjamin, Reuben. Uh, uh, I can't name them all. I wish I could. That'd be sweet. Um, but those, do you know that those are the 12 tribes of Israel, those 12 sons? And it's all those sons that really don't like Joseph. And so here's, here's part of where the dysfunction comes in. Um, that we read in the passage today that, that, that Jacob chooses a favorite son. Do you know how bad that is to choose? I mean, think about it. My parents went so incredibly far over the top of, like, treating us both equally that, uh, like, I remember one time, you know, if we ever said, you know, who's your favorite son? They would say, I love you both equally. And they would never even joke about, oh, you're my favorite son, or you're my favorite son. They would never say that. They would always say, I love you both equally. In fact, one time when we were, when we were younger, Grandma sent us, sent me, I think, yeah, I got the 20 bucks, and my brother got a subscription to, like, ALF magazine. <laughs> it was just so lame. And so my mom... I was like, oh, my 20 bucks, my 20 bucks, my 20 bucks. And my brother's like, I got a stupid ALF magazine, like a, a subscription, a year-long, I think it was like a two-year subscription of ALF magazine. <laughs> and, and so what my mom did is like, well, well, this needs to be fair. So she took the $20, she took the piece of paper and the first ALF magazine and says, you're both going to split the 20 bucks, here's 10 bucks each, and now you have to share the ALF magazine. <laughs> and, of course, I was pretty ticked. But looking back, thinking, that was a pretty smart move of my parents because, because it wasn't fair. My grandmother, I don't know why she sent, I mean, she must have just thought, Brian, my brother, must love Alf or something, but she did. Who knows? Do you guys remember Alf? You know who Alf is? Okay, the little alien. It's so creepy. Uh, <laughs> and, so, uh, and so they split. Looking back, I think that was a really good move of my parents to, 
to split the money and to split the ALF magazine, or else it would have caused problems between me and my brother. I would have been still like saying, remember that 20 bucks I got, and all you got was an ALF magazine? <laughs> because, because parents, and, and just people in general, like whether it's your parents or whether it's you as uh, some of you are probably in teacher positions or some of you uh, maybe in management positions or will be very soon. Some of you are maybe already parents or will be parents very soon. Picking a favorite is a really bad thing to do. Picking someone and saying, you're my favorite. Let's just give you a raise. You're just like everybody else. You do the same, same amount of work. But let's, let's just give you a raise. Let's give you all this stuff. Let's give you a, a, a coat of many colors or a richly ornamented coat uh, that's really cool and call you in front of everyone my favorite. Do you know what that does to your team or to your children or to uh, the, the, the class that you're teaching? It, it just builds dysfunction and they begin to hate that person and then that person says why are you i don't want to be the favorite everyone hates me and and it just doesn't work out to be good it's very it's very dysfunctional and so joseph has these dreams that we just read about and it 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 just kind of encourages more hatred i mean he has basically has dreams of his brothers bowing down to him and then he goes and tells his brothers hey guess what i just had i just had a dream that you're bowing down to me including like the sun and the stars and and the moon were bowing down to me i mean imagine the the, I mean, if you were one of the older brothers, you'd be like, man, I hate you. <laughs> I just really don't like you. And, and, and the dad chose him as a favorite. And just as a side note this morning, you know, I think sometimes people uh, play the, the dream card or the God told me card. Have you, have you had that card played to you before? It's a pretty bad card to be dealt. Someone will say, someone will say, <laughs> I, I've, I've heard this quite a bit. Someone will say, uh, maybe it's guys. Guys kind of play the guard. No, girls kind of play it too. They'll say, you know, God, God told me that we're going to be together someday. Have you ever got that card played to you? It's a bad card to play or to be played. If if someone says, you know, I know we're friends, and but I think I had this dream where where we're, we end up together, and and would you like to go on a date because I think it's of God. That's that's a bad card to play to someone. Even if you believe it's true, I think, I think this dream that Joseph had really is true. Because, you know, at the, do you know the end of the story of the, 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 the book of Genesis? Has the end of the story of Joseph, the brothers come and need food. And what do they do? They bow down before Joseph. And so this dream actually gets fulfilled. You know, maybe, I don't, I don't know if it, we could really figure it out, but maybe 30 years later, this dream actually gets fulfilled. But Joseph is going around bragging about this dream, kind of using it maybe against his brothers. And so maybe God really did say to you, you, you might marry this girl, but that's not, you, you don't play that card. That's, you don't do that. You don't say, you know, God told me we're going to get married, and you haven't even gone on a single date yet. Like, that's, that's a bad card to play. Do you know that? Just, just as a side note, just in case you're thinking, man, I need to play that card. It, it's, it's, like, it's like the trump card. It's a really, I mean, it's a pretty... Yeah, it's a mean card to play, but it always works. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't. I've seen people, I've seen relationships destroyed because, because uh, back in, uh, I guess it was my college days, a guy really felt like that, she, that this girl was the one, and then they dated for a little while and then broke up. And then she, I mean, it's just so awkward. Like, he was like, well, it's God's will that we're together. She's going against God's will. And, and it was just bad. It was it was just a bad situation because maybe he heard wrong or maybe he heard just for himself and wasn't supposed to, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know those, the, the spiritual things for personal um, lives, but it's a bad card to play. Don't play that card. Joseph plays it, and look what happens to him. Should we read, um, 
Let's, let's do this real quick. <laughs> uh, let's do this real quick. Would you mind uh, discussing? We, we do discussions sometimes in Sunday school. We're just going to take like two minutes and do it. I think discussion is really important, at least for me. I think there's around the room here are a bunch of geniuses that, that know a lot more than me, a lot, lot more than you, uh, so on and so forth. And so at your tables, I think it's good to discuss. The discussion question is this, and you might have a card on your table that says this. The discussion question is, what are reasons families break up? What are some reasons families break up? This isn't a time to get personal and say, my family broke up because of this. Um, this is just, what are some general things, that the reasons why families break up? I'll just give you like two minutes tops. Ready, set, go. I have an idea that uh, at least the ones that I, I, I had a little, I have a little list um, of reasons why families break up. And um, I have an idea that each one of these can be found in the family of Jacob. So he's got a really big family. There's lots of dysfunction, obviously. And, uh, and so some of you might have said uh, affairs or adultery. Did any of you list that as a reason why family break up? Let's just look at um, the stories of, do you know who the oldest oldest son of Jacob is? Reuben. And then do you know who? Uh, Simeon and Levi. And then do you know who? Uh, Judah is next. You'd have to be a really good nerd to know all that. Um, but those are the four the four oldest sons in that order, and they all do something horrible. Uh, the, the first three lose, completely lose their birthright, and the birthright of the firstborn is something that's very serious in that ancient culture. Reuben, um, the son of Jacob, ha- does something really bad. Um, he, does, uh, he sleeps with his stepmom, uh, Bilhah, in, on, on Jacob's bed. That's bad. I mean, that's... And so he loses his own birthright. We were um, joking, not about that, but we were joking about, uh, there's a group of us that get together and kind of help me uh, prepare sermons uh, for Sunday school, and we were joking, maybe, uh, maybe some months, since we take months and, and do topics, <laughs> this is going to sound bad, but we should do a topic on the X-rated stories of the Bible. <laughs> I know, it'd be horrible. And then, uh, and then, and then we were like, well, what would the point of that be? And then I said, well, the point would be to get attendance up. <laughs> but I don't think we could pull that off. It'd be a little weird uh, and awkward for everyone, including myself. Uh, but that's, I mean, it's clearly an X-rated story. I mean, uh, that, and then the other story, the, the next son, the oldest son, Reuben, then Simeon and Levi, they do something really horrible, and they, they go to another tribe and kind of convert this other tribe to their beliefs, like it's like converting them to be believers. And in the old way, they, they get circumcised. If you're Jewish, you get circumcised. If you don't know what that is, ask somebody around you. Um, <laughs> it'd probably be in that series, the X-rated series of the Bible. we could explain what that was. Uh, and so the, all these men from this other tribe are in pain. I mean, they're adult men that get circumcised. And if you know what that is, you're like, ooh, that, that must kill. Um, and so then Simeon and Levi, after they kind of convert uh, and kind of believers, Simeon and Levi go in and kill, massacre every single one of the men, pillage, plunder the town, take all the stuff. And that was just too much. Jacob said, you're cursed because that was just overboard. That was over the top. You shouldn't have done that. That's just a horrible thing to do. And so they get cut off. And then there's Judah, which actually doesn't lose his birthright, but he does something bad too. There's a, there's a there's a whole chapter that talks about Judah. In the story of Joseph, there's a whole chapter about Judah and how he visits a prostitute and how that prostitute just turns out to be his, uh, is, it, is it his stepdaughter? 
Yeah, so he visits a prostitute. Is that right? I wrote it down. Who is it? Daughter-in-law. Yeah, excuse me. Daughter-in-law Tamar. He visits a prostitute, and that prostitute turns out to be his daughter-in-law. I mean, how, how messed up and twisted. A very dysfunctional family. Some of the other things that you might have listed in your list of discussion items about why families break up are violence. And clearly there's violence. Where I'm just about to read the stories of what the, what the brothers do to Joseph. An extremely violent, horrible thing that happens there. Um, finances might break up a family. In the, in the end of the story, um, Jacob, uh, Jacob and his sons, the families, go to Egypt because they're dirt poor. They, it's a famine. They don't have any money, any food. And so they go to get food from Egypt. And so that, that could break up this family, lead to part of the dysfunction. There's a lot of unhappiness. Um, and so I want to read for you the, uh, the rest of this story real quick. Turn back to Genesis 37 if you're not already there. Um, you get, get a little comfortable because it's, I'm going to read verses 12 all the way through 36. Um, and it, pay attention because it's, it's kind of a long story. Um, it's a really good story, though. And it's some of the, I mean, some, I mean, let's just be honest. Some passages in the Bible are just lists of names, and they could kind of get a little boring, right? This is not boring. This is pretty exciting stuff. It says, verse 12, Genesis 37, 12 says, Now his brothers had gone to graze in their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, that's, jo- that's Jacob, same dude, uh, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing in the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the field and asked, What are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I have heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when they saw him at a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Can you imagine? That's, it's his own brother's. Plot, that, that's how much, I mean, we could kind of joke about the coat of many colors and, and Jacob choosing a favorite, but there's, there's li- literally a legitimate hatred that these brothers have for, for, their, for their younger brother that is the favorite of the father. Verse 19 says, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him. Throw, him, throw him into one of these cisterns and say that ferocious animals devoured him. Then we will see what comes of this dreamer. When Reuben, you remember Reuben, he's the oldest one, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Do not shed any blood. Throw him in the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue them and rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So Joseph came to his brothers. They stripped him of his robe, which was richly ornamented and he, uh, that he was wearing, and took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gil, Gil, Gilead. <laughs> Thank you. Their, their camels were loaded with spices, bombs, myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed. He's our, he's our own brother, our own flesh and blood. Let's not kill him. I have an idea. Let's sell him as a slave to these people that are passing by. And slavery, I mean, slavery is bad wherever you think about it. Ancient slavery could be even worse. Uh, just imagine, you know, someone else owning you. Working day in, day out, no day of rest uh, for slaves. Horrible working conditions. Um, just, just bad. I mean, someone literally owns you. 
Verse 28 says, So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. That just means it was an old way of saying, I'm really mad, upset to your clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe into the blood. And they took the ornamented robe back to the father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. And that's we put a picture on the cover. We call this a skillet. It's the, the notes you might be taking notes on. And the cover of that is is them taking the robe, and there, there's a dead goat right in front there, and they're taking the goat, the, the coat and dipping it into blood. Can you imagine just the, the horror of that scene? And verse 33 says, He recognized it as, as Joseph's coat and said, This is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes. Again, that's a, that's a representation of someone really upset put on sackcloth, and mourned mourned for his son many days. And then it says this, all his sons and daughters came to comfort him. Imagine being one of those sons, one of those brothers, coming to comfort your father, knowing dang well what really happened. But he refused, Jacob refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning I will go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Mennonites sold Joseph to Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Isn't that a sad story? I think it's extra, it's one of the, I mean, it's just so written out in such a way that you really feel bad for Joseph and, and what he did with his dreams and bragging. But then, like, the brothers went way too far. Literally, we're, we're plotting to kill him. Literally sold him into slavery for just a little bit of money. And I think, I mean, that is clearly a family in dysfunction. Clearly a family that, that um, I mean, dysfunction, it's just, it seems like the best word to use. I want to give you some stats of families in the United States and then talk about something bigger for just a second. Um, some stats about families in the United States today. Uh, this is just stats of single parents, males. There are males that are single. They are a parent, uh, and they're single. Uh, males, 2.04 million males. Females, 9.68 million females that are single mothers. Uh, and then this is, this is a crazy statistic. The percentage of children under 18... Um, that are living with their mother only. So all kids under 18, what percentage are living with their mother only? Uh, that's 23%. Seems really high, doesn't it? Um, percentage of children under 18 that are living with neither parent, maybe some sort of foster care or an orphanage. Percentage of all children under 18, 4% of all kids are living without either parent. And, of course, you've probably heard this before, that the, that the divorce rate in America is, is near to what? Do you know? Yeah, it's near 50% of, of all couples will get divorced. And then if, if after they get divorced, if they get remarried, their second marriage, 67% of those in divorce. And if, the, and if they go on again and get third marriage, 74% of third marriages end in divorce. And those are some sad statistics, don't you think? I think there's, I've heard it before that, that Christian marriages are the, have the same stats as um, worldly marriages. Have you heard that before? I've heard that before too, and I think, I, w- I would want to say that's a little skewed. And, and I think the reason is is because uh, a Christian, a non-Christians would, would live together and, and, not, and, and not be married, but they'll live together for years. Now, I know lots of non-Christian couples that have lived together for two, three years. They just live together, and then maybe after that they decide to get married, or maybe after that they decide to break up. And if a person that lives, a couple that lives together two or three years, um, you know, they're 
considered, I mean, I mean, if you think about it in our way of thinking, you know, I mean, they're pretty much married, right? I mean, if they're living together day in, day out for two or three years. Um, but if they break up, then is that called a divorce? No, it's just called breakup. And so I think because Christians marry, uh, we, we don't live together. Before we get married, we get married, then live together. There, there's, there's not that chance to live together and break up and then not consider that divorce. And so I think the, some of the stats are kind of skewed about Christian marriages. I think we're a lot better than that, don't you think? I think we're a whole lot better than the world when it comes to marriages. In fact, there's a statistic that says that uh, uh, the percentage of, of Christian couples, married Christian couples that read their Bible every day and pray every day, uh, you know what the divorce rate for that is for a couple that reads the Bible every day, prays together every day? It's 0.03%, but less than a percent of, of those couples that read their Bible every day, pray together every day, um, they, the, the 0.0% chance of divorce. That's pretty good. And so uh, me and Erica made a decision. Uh, we've been married one year and 14 days. We made a decision. Uh, uh, I don't know how many hours. i figure that out later. Uh, we made a decision that we're going to take that stat seriously. We will read our Bible every single day. We'll pray every single day, even if we're tired and we saved it till the end of the day. And we're like, I don't want to read it. Uh, we'll say, like, well, you don't want to get divorced, do you? <laughs> it is kidding. We just, it's a part of, we, for 365 plus 14 days, we've read our Bible consistently every single day, prayed every single day. Because I think that stat, is, that stat has something to say about, uh, re, I guess, I mean, lots of people claim to be Christians. They just go to church every once in a while, just kind of claim to be believers. But, and then get categorized in that lump of people that, um, that are Christians and then get divorces. But I think legitimate born-again believers, I think the percentages of divorce are much, much lower for that very reason. Uh, I'll say it again. The percentage of people, the, the couples that read their Bible every day and pray every day is less than 0.03%. And so I think that's, that, that says a lot, about, a, a lot about Christian faith and keeping a, a family together. I want to read for you um, the very end of Genesis I want to read for you the end of the story. If you haven't read the story of Joseph, I'm going to ruin it for you. <laughs> but it's okay. You've probably heard it anyways. Um, the very end of Genesis, uh, where are we at? V- uh, chapter 46, verse 28. So, so Joseph is, gets sold into slavery. And these, these, the, there's two more Sundays this month that we're going to talk about Joseph. Um, we'll talk about what, what happens to Joseph at Potiphar's house and then in jail, and then under Pharaoh. We'll talk about all that um, this month. And so uh, after all that, I mean, it could be years and years later, this is the end of the story. Uh, Genesis 46, verse 28. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of them to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. Goshen is an area of the fertile Egyptian uh, Nile area. And, And so all the family... This is, I'm ruining the whole story for you, but uh, the family comes down to get food. Joseph recognizes them and then says, let's bring our whole family down there and live with Joseph and and be reunited. I mean, just imagine it in an ancient culture where there's no letters being sent. There's no emails being sent, no text messages, no, no cell phone calls. I mean, finding another person, you'd literally have to literally find them yourself in this huge, vast world to be able to be reunited. But it happens. It says, Jacob... Jacob sent Judah ahead of them to Joseph to get directions to Joseph. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. That's Jacob. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around him, the father, and wept for a long time. And Israel said to Joseph, Now I'm ready to die. 
since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Isn't that a cool ending? I wanted to read that, the ending for you, because the, the story where we left off about the brothers selling him into slavery is a pretty sad, sad place to end. This is a really cool ending. Um, this family being reunited in this ancient culture, it's a miracle, literally, that that would happen. And I think well, the, the bigger message this morning as we study Genesis and get into the nitty-gritty of the details of Joseph and the book of Genesis, the bigger message is the, it's about the family. At least today, that's what this passage speaks to me about how important the family is and how this story leads leads a family to be totally broken up, totally dysfunctional, and in the end, to, to come back together. And by, it's by God's grace, unmerited grace, that God would give this family a chance to be back together, all reunited. It's, just, it's a miracle, and it's the grace of God. And I would like to say that, you know, depending on where you've we all have different family lives. Maybe you've had a hard family life. Uh, the message is not someday your whole family is going to get back together and it's going to be super duper. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that we all have the choice. We're all probably in our 20s or somewhere around there where in a few years or maybe even now we've, we've gotten married. A few years, maybe you'll get married. Maybe you'll have kids. You have a choice to, to, to create a good family. No matter what kind of family you come from, you can create a good family of your own. You can have children and raise them right and, and make decisions on a daily basis to have a great family. That's the bigger message. I want to end with a, with a story of a, of a friend of mine. Um, do you guys know Jeremiah Parks? He is uh, one of the pastors here on staff with New Life, and he is, um, uh, I guess, the call, no, excuse me, the high school associate pastor. He works with Brent Parsley, who does TAG, and he does, he's one of the associate pastors of TAG. He does worship every once in a while. He does worship for the mill every once in a while, too. Um, a really great guy. I had the chance to, um, him and his wife bought a house, and they rented out the basement like three or four years ago, and I got to live in their basement with another guy. And uh, I got to know Jeremiah and Nikki Parks really well, and I found that their marriage, their family is strong. They're just, they don't, there's no abuse, like physically, emotionally, um, psychologically. They're just a strong, good, godly family. And I remember the, um, they'll joke about this today, but the, the worst I saw them kind of arguing, it wasn't even arguing, it was kind of voicing their frustrations, is Jeremiah uh, had a BB gun. <laughs> and he was in the backyard, and it's not like he lives in the backyard in the middle of nowhere. The backyard, of, or there's other houses around, and he shot two squirrels with a BB gun and brought the squirrels in the house and was going to fire up the crock pot and make a squirrel stew. <laughs> and all the, all the guys were like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And, and I'm sure the girls are probably thinking the same thing that Nikki thought. How disgusting. Why would you do that? What's wrong with you? Um, and so they, I was standing right there watching Jeremiah like, yeah, let's do this. Uh, <laughs> And so Jeremiah and Nikki, that, they were, that, that was them in their worst, they will even say today that that was one of their worst arguments, them just kind of voicing frustration at each other uh, for the squirrel incident. And, um, and there was no, they, they didn't say anything like directed to the other person saying, you are, the, you are a bad person because you did this, or you won't let me do this, you're a bad person. There wasn't any of that. It wasn't psychological, emotional manipulations, violence whatsoever. And I say that, I say that they have such a great family now to tell you the story about Jeremiah's father and his, and his, and his, uh, his real dad when he was growing up. And um, Jeremiah, he, he told me the story one time that he, um, he came from a really horrible family background, him and his, I believe, four brothers. When they were younger, his dad was horribly, violently abusive 
to them, and, and he would just say that that was, you know, that was just the, the violence and getting hurt on a weekly basis and, and seeing his mom beaten so badly that, that she would need to go to the hospital, that those things happened. But what really hurt him and, and frightened him so much as a kid was some of the psychological abuse that his dad would, this is, this is going to be a, a dark picture for you, but his dad would hold a knife to his little hands and say, I'm going to cut off your hands because you're a bad little boy and you shouldn't have touched that or whatever it was. His dad would say, uh, the bad guys are going to come get you while you're sleeping. Uh, and, and I can't even imagine this. My dad was, I had a wonderful family. And his dad said this to him. His dad said, I'm going to put you in that trash bag. I'm going to tie you up and I'm going to leave you in a field somewhere. <clears throat> and I just can't, I can't imagine a father saying that to his son, leaving him somewhere in the middle of nowhere in a field in a bag because he, because he had been a bad boy. I can't imagine that. And and his and his dad, the, the, the mom and his mom and his dad were on the on the verge of divorce, obviously, because of the violence and the horrible things that were happening. His dad had moved out and was in another city, and his dad called his mom and said, I think I'm gonna die soon. And and the mom was like, You mean suicide? Do we need to get you some help? What's really going on? He said, No, I just I, I think I'm gonna die the higher being God is going to take me. And so he called uh, Jeremiah's mom. The dad called the mom and said, I want to apologize for everything. I want to apologize for the way I've treated you. I want to apologize for that I haven't been a good father. And, and, and so he made that call. He, I guess he met with a pastor and confessed his sins to a pastor. Uh, I, we think he became saved. And then literally three days after that phone call, he, was, he died in, a, in, a, in an accident, a construction accident. There's witnesses that say it wasn't suicide at all. It was, a, it was a cable, electrical cable, came down, I guess, arced, and, and elect, he was electrocuted to death right there. And, 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 he, and he died, and, and there was, that family was just, you know, all the dysfunction in that family thinking about that. And last night I, I called Jeremiah, and I, I asked him permission to tell the story because it's a very, um, it's obviously a very personal story, that it's, and it's his story. And I said, Jeremiah, would you mind if I told that story? I remember you telling it. And I just think about all the glory that it gives to God and the grace that you would have such an amazing family even though you came from such a horrible childhood and your family was very I mean, dysfunctional. doesn't even scratch the surface of what, what that was. And, and, and he said, yeah, I would, I, would, I would like you to tell my story if it gives glory to God. I would like you to tell it. And he said, did, did I tell you this? Did, did you ever hear about my real father? And I said, wait, what? He said, just, just and so this is me last night calling Jeremiah, already going to use this story already going to tell, tell the story, just getting permission to tell the story. And he said, yeah, just a couple months ago, I found out that that man that was so abusive to me, that my father, who I thought was my real blood father, was not my real blood father. That, he, that his, his mom, through a series of events, his mom told him, and he was quite upset that, that he, his whole life, I mean, he's, I think he's 28, something like that, years old, for 28 years of his life, he thought that that man that abused him and, and beat him up and and did those horrible things, was his real father. And he just found out just this year uh, that his, I guess last year, that his father was still living, that his real father had, uh, I guess, not to get into any of the details, but his mom, way before his mom was a Christian, uh, I guess in her kind of after high school or right around high school days, was at a party and, and slept with a guy, that that was actually Jeremiah's real father. And I'm just learning this yesterday. He just learned this a couple months ago. And, and so Jared, there was uh, there was some phone calls that were made and a meeting that was set up with this guy 
this his real father that 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 that, that slept with his mother so many years ago at a party for goodness sakes, um, and he had no idea that he had a son. Yet a 28 year old that he had gone 28 years of his life since that party and had a son, and, and it's just insane. I'm listening to this in, in in my house, thinking, oh my gosh, this is this is really God's unmerited grace. And so through a series of of phone calls, a series of uh, meetings, they they. Him, and he drives down to Texas, and he meets, for the very first time, his real dad. And so they're sitting across from each other. Jeremiah didn't know till a couple months earlier. He did, the dad didn't know till a couple months earlier that they even knew of each other, two total strangers sitting in front of each other at this restaurant in Texas somewhere. And they sit down, and Jeremiah, uh, just he's nervous, just starts talking, kind of like a, a monologue, and just says uh, all this stuff, you know, just kind of rattling on. And he says, I'm not here to, to get money from you. I'm not here to... You know, to, to make you my father, I, d- I just want to meet you. I want to tell you about who I am. I want to tell you that I have a wife, that I have a kid now, a son, and, and, and just going on and on about who he is. And then he gets, in, gets into what he does. And he says, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor of youth, and I believe in Jesus, and I follow the Lord, and I love God, and that's what my life is all about. And, and, and then he kind of finishes this 15-minute monologue and says, what do, you, what do you think? And the dad's just, I mean, they're both just in a state of shock, of course, not knowing, you know, meeting your son for the first time after 28 years is crazy. Uh, and, the, and his dad, his real dad, that he doesn't even know, says, I'm a Christian too. I'm a pastor. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That, that they're both pastors, and they, they have the same humor and mannerisms. And, and then Jeremiah, they got to talking and cried together and laughed together. And he said, I'm so sorry that that, that, that happened, that you've lived 28 years of your life and and that that happened to you as a kid, and, and your, the dad that you thought you had was so abusive to you. I'm so sorry about that. And they cried together. And, and it's just a, it's a, it's an amazing story, don't you think? Doesn't it give glory to God? And I was going to use that story, not even, not even hearing what I heard last night, and just asking him for permission to tell it. And I just thought, what, what a similar a parallel to the, to the story of Joseph, how much God cares about who we are, how much God cares about the relationships, especially the families that we're in and that we live with, how important that is to God and how much grace is upon a family, how much unmerited grace in this story and in Jeremiah's story, how just how unbelievable God is to, to help a family. Isn't that, isn't that a, it's a beautiful story to me. Let's, let's pray together and just thank God this morning. God, we are honored to, be, to live our lives in, in ways that reflect you and your glory. God, we are honored to, to, to live in a life where we could have hope for a family of our own, where we could have hope that, that our families will be under the grace of God. I, I pray that specifically over us in the Mill Sunday School right now, that, our, that we will begin to pray for our families, our future wives, our future husbands, our future children. God, if that's your will for us to have those things in our life, would you, would you bring about the grace necessary to have good, strong Christian family values in our, in our households? For there not to be destruction or dysfunction, but there to be love and grace, your unmerited grace in who we are. And God, I just pray right now that if there's something in our own families, if we need to go back to our parents, our guardians, or whoever it is, our brothers and sisters, and apologize for something or seek forgiveness, that God, you would put that on our hearts because you are a God of the family. God, you are a God that, that treats families so seriously and loves families and loves individuals and families. And so, God, we worship you. We praise you that you are the God of love. We honor you, and we love you, Jesus. And everyone said, amen.